Hey, what? Listen, we should probably start recording this Madonna True Blue era episode, don't you think? I think so. Okay, let's go. Here we go. (laughs) Welcome to the Spooky Electric Podcast by me, Trent Venegas. You need another podcast like you need another hole in your head. So here we go. Okay, so it's time for another episode of Spooky Electric. And honestly, when I started, when I decided that I was going to do this music-only podcast, I kind of had a feeling that you were going to be my first guest or person to do this with. So I'm glad that it finally came together. Austin Riva, thank you for joining me on this episode. Thank you for having me. Um, Considering um, the years and years of music conversations we've had, um, I can't think of anyone else uh, who'd be more suited to doing an episode with, especially the first one uh, as a guest. And um, I know we've been talking a little bit about what should we talk about? What should our episode be about? And I think you were the one that were like, we both know and love Madonna so much, it should be a Madonna episode. And it suddenly hit me that the True Blue era is an era that is probably one of, if not her greatest era, and that will give us plenty to talk about. So let's talk about it. Okay. Um, all right. So I know that we both did our own little research um, independent of one another so that we could talk about this live. Um, I have like a few like little factoid timeline things that I want to mention first. Um, So the album came out in 86. But uh, in my opinion, the era really starts in 1985, when Madonna first performed the song Love Makes the World Go Round at Live Aid on July 13th, 1985. It's the first time she performed that song. It's the only time she's ever performed that song live. And she did it uh, at a time when controversy had reared its head for one of the first times in her career. Um, Just a few weeks before that Live Aid performance, uh, Penthouse Magazine had published nude photos that she'd posed for in 1978 when she was an art student. I guess she was a dance student at college and she posed for some nude photos. And she made $30 for it, I believe. I have the coffee table book. Oh, interesting. She got she got paid have... she got paid pretty much nothing and she doesn't own the rights to the photos, so I have a coffee table book that somebody got me once and it there's a the story of the photos in there and I wish I had it, but um <clears throat> yeah, she got paid like thirty dollars and that's all she ever made from it and there's all these other people that have made so much money from it. It's funny because you know when she did it, she was just doing it, you know, probably for the thirty bucks so she could eat. And probably for the fun of it, because, you know, that just seemed like the kind of person that she is, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 10 years later or so, she's the one most famous female pop star in the world. And then they sell her her nude photos. And, you know, the New York Post made this big thing about, you know, her career is over. She's going to be ruined. And I think her response was like, I'm not ashamed. Who cares? And literally, that's how she addressed the whole thing 
Yeah, I mean, that was, I think, one of the first moments that was so integral of her standing up and doing the classic now, like, I'm not sorry. I think that's, that's, exactly. that's become kind of her, her, and her entire point of her career is, is being unapologetic, not to reference an unapologetic bitch. <laughs> but um, I mean, and the photos are beautiful. They're, they're not like porny. They're like really beautiful, tastefully done, like artistic nudes. Her body was her, she has a gorgeous body and I just I'm like she has no reason to be ashamed or beautiful photos good for her for for sure and the intent of the photos were it was like she was in art school as a photographer like doing these artsy things exactly I, I completely agree they're very artistic and she shouldn't have been ashamed so obviously she wasn't um so when she uh intros the song love makes the world go round from the live age state live aid stage she makes a, a small reference to those photos coming out um she was wearing like a, a full outfit like it was in july in new york like hot as balls and she's wearing all these clothes and a jacket and she says something like it's hot but i'm not going to take my jacket off because i don't want people to hold it against me or whatever like she's <laughs> obviously making a reference to the photos that had just come out yeah so really quickly, let me just play um, that intro, since obviously that's not something that's available on Spotify. Um, let me play that intro so you can hear uh, Madonna introing the first song that we ever heard from the True Blue album to start uh, the True Blue era. I'm sympathizing with you by keeping my coat on, okay? So don't feel bad. shit off today. You might hold it against me 10 years from now. Uh, I have one more song to do. Let's see. Niall, we got some people where they're going to sing along with us. Thompson Twins and Niall Rogers, the man who made my record. Love makes the world go round. And at the end, you might have heard it enough so that you don't feel shy singing along with us, okay? I know you guys are all major hams, okay? So this is your chance. Okay, so there she is on the Live Age stage, you know, the song that kind of, so I remember I was young, you weren't born yet, <laughs> but I was a kid when Live Aid happened, and I remember it was like the biggest thing, like MTV was the biggest thing in the world back then. So everybody was talking about it in the weeks leading up to it. You know, you know, and even as a kid, like I wasn't really like watching the news or whatever, but like you just knew that Live Aid was the was like the whole entire world. Like it was the thing. And having Madonna perform on it was a big thing for her because she just had like two records out. She had only had. I think she only had one or two number ones at that point. 
um, Like a Virgin went to number one and Into the Groove went to number one. So she was kind of like just becoming like a, a fairly well-known pop star. And then to have her on such a big stage was a huge deal. So I thought, I thought it was kind of cool that she decided to use that platform to introduce um, her new album era. But do you think that that's what she was going for? Or do you think she's just like, here's a new song and she wasn't really thinking ahead to, to a new album? I mean, <clears throat> Madonna is always thinking ahead. I think that every single thing she's ever done has been for the most part intelligent and calculated in a good way. I think that the message of love makes the world go around is was a perfect fit for that for that event and i mean i don't know the timeline if she'd written it for that or if she'd written it for the album but it just like you know she's she's doing her hits and she's going to debut a new song she's going to debut a new song with a message that's pertinent and uplifting for this for this live eight event i think it was a perfect decision yeah totally um so that was the I guess the official start of the True Blue album era. Um, and then later on in, um, in 1985, on August 16th, on her birthday, she married Sean Penn. So that's when she got married. And then she st started recording uh, the, the, uh, the tracks for True Blue in December of 1985 and finished in uh, April of 1986. And I think it's important, obviously, to mention that uh, she married Sean uh, in 85, and then he was the inspiration for her album. Um, she called it, or I guess people referred to it as her unabashed Valentine for him. And I dug out my vinyl copy. I have a vinyl copy of True Blue <laughs> with the original poster. I still have the original poster in the record. And... Uh, in the liner notes, she wrote, this album is dedicated to my husband, the coolest guy in the universe. So, Sean Penn uh, was <clears throat> the inspiration for True Blue and everything on it. She was definitely in love. I think it would, I think I would say it's possibly her most positive and lovey album by far. And, but not cheesy. Like, I think it's, it's, it's very... Um, it's upbeat, it's fun, it's cute, it is lovey-dovey, but I don't think it's cheesy. I think, like, like, some of her greatest hits are on it, and I honestly love every single track, even the non-album singles, and we'll get to um, each individual song in a minute, um, but it, to me, it's one of her perfect records. Like, she has some... I think she has some, you know, non-single -al uh, non album tracks that are kind of terrible mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think any of those are on True Blue I would agree and it's funny because I wouldn't have agreed with you a few years ago yeah it's it's it and I don't it's interesting because I I I do remember when the album came out but I wasn't really invested in music as I am now so a lot of things I just took for granted you know like um having her on MTV like every single day like she was just such a mainstay such a staple she was on the radio she, all of her hits from like her first two records were still being played on the radio all the time mm -hmm. and it was just something that that's just the way it was like it wasn't something that I thought about or it was like oh my god like Madonna's so amazing it's just she just was like ever present she was the female 
pop star voice of the 80s. I mean, along with Prince and along with Michael Jackson, they were like the three biggest stars on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, on March 6, 1986, during a press conference uh, to announce the forthcoming movie Shanghai Surprise <laughs> that Madonna acted in with her now husband, Sean Penn, she confirmed publicly that she album that was uh, supposed to be titled Live to Tell. So the album was originally supposed to be titled Live to Tell. Um, obviously, it was later changed to True Blue. Uh, she had collaborated with Stephen Bray, who worked on Like a Virgin, the record Like a Virgin with her, and with uh, the Virgin Tour musical director, uh, Patrick Leonard. So the three of them wrote and produced uh, pretty much the entire album. And while we're talking about Stephen Bray, a fun fact about him is that they met before she was famous at the University of Michigan when they were studying dance. And they were in um, the same band called The Breakfast Club together and Emmy and the Emmys. They'd known each other. They'd known each other for a long time before she even like did music. Like when she was just studying dance in Michigan, like they like really went way back. That's right. That's right. I forgot that he was in The Breakfast Club, her first band. That's cool. Um, uh, according to Madonna, the title True Blue was a favorite expression of her husband, Sean Penn, and his very pure vision of love. Um, and this album was her third, but it was the first album where she debuted a B-side, like an original B-side, which is so strange when you consider how many singles she put out over her career. Mm-hmm. And when you think about like other artists, like Prince, for example, has, you know, an entire extra catalog of music that was not included on his albums that were released as B-sides that are just as good or sometimes better than album tracks. And And Madonna was not that artist. Madonna, you know, isn't a B-side artist. But her first B-side came out when she released, uh, I think it was on the Papa Don't Preach single. But I also have the 7-inch 45 single record of True Blue. And um, the B-side is on here as well. The the B-side, that is a very strange story because the song which is called ain't no big deal it dates back to before she'd made her first album and it was made with Stephen bray and it was supposed to be her first single ever but at the last second they decided to go with everybody and because of a weird writing thing Stephen bray got full writing credit for ain't no big deal and madonna got full writing credit for everybody but madonna had actually co-written ain't no big deal as her first single and something happened and it ended up being given to a, a, a disco act called Barracuda <laughs> and they put it out and it didn't do anything. And then Madonna got the rights back and she first released it as a B-side only in Japan on the Dress You Up 7-inch. And then it was the official B-side to Papa Don't Preach and then later on True Blue. Interesting. I did not know that. Have you heard the Barracuda version? No, I haven't. It's got to be out there. It's, it's, it was on a, I think it was on a compilation or something, but it's odd because I was looking through the, the songs that were registered or that have been talked about in the True Blue sessions. And there was uh, songs called Working My Finger to the Bone, Pipeline, 
Tell Me, I Want You, and then another song, uh, Each Time You Break My Heart, which Madonna later gave to a singer named Nick Kamen, who I've never heard of, but she sang background on it. But it's like she had all of these songs in these sessions, and she's using this really old song as a B-side. It's just odd. I know, and she used it over and over and over again, which is funny. Yeah. And it's a good song. I mean, like, well, we, we could talk about that, too, because I have it, like, in the list at the end of the album tracks when we talk about those. But, I mean, I think it's a good song. It's, it's not spectacular, but it's a great B-side. I think it's a, it's a great little uh, gem for a lot of uh, Madonna fans who probably either never heard it or forgot that it even existed. For sure. And it's, and it's a tragedy, especially in the 80s, that Madonna was, with her contract, not allowed to release a certain amount of songs outside of her albums because it's clear like when you look at this list of all of these songs that she had ready to go that her label is just like no no b-sides you know it's interesting she was on the sire record label but sire was owned by warner brothers and warner brothers very famously had beef with prince because prince liked to record music and release it you know as much as he wanted to and they wouldn't let him either so Clearly, that's like a Warner Brother staple where they they just want to have a lot of control over the artists releasing music. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get it. I don't. Not to get in that whole conversation, but um, so clearly, that's a Warner Brother thing. Yeah, that's a. We'll have a um, Warner Brothers episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, photographer Herb Ritz shot the iconic cover photo. Um, True Blue, the album, reached number one on her birthday on August 16th, 1986. So on her first wedding anniversary, the album that she dedicated to her husband went to number one, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, True Blue was the most successful album of 1986, and it is the most successful female album of the 80s. Now, these facts come from Wikipedia. (laughs) So maybe we'll take them for a little grain of salt, but these sound it sounds right. It sounds right. <laughs> um, Madonna was the first artist to win the Video Vanguard Award at the MTV Video Music Awards in 1986. Um, and don't you have like a fun story about Madonna in the recording studio when she was recording this record? Yes. So just through the grapevine of of people I know in the music industry. Um, I heard this story from my guy. He he mixed the album and, oh my God, I have to find a direct quote, hold on. So just paraphrase it, just give the gist. Okay, so so there was a, one of the guys that mixed the album with Madonna in the studio was they were, she was working them like really, really long days. Cause they were always on this, on this crazy role of getting these songs done. And there was one night when they were like, Hey Madonna, like we really need to break for dinner. And she was like, great, but there's popcorn in the lobby. So just do that. And everybody ate popcorn. And like, they were like, they were so diligently at work that it was like, they couldn't even do dinner, which is, I find so funny. I think that's hilarious, and I think I believe it one thousand percent. Like she's a you know a workaholic, and I'm sure she expects you know if she's gonna be working hard, everyone around her is gonna be working hard. And there were no Postmates back then. <laughs> um, 
I don't know why they couldn't have sent a runner to get them food or whatever, but she was just like, we got popcorn, eat that, get back to work. Yeah, and that's a testament to, I think, the fact that her work ethic, like, is just, to most other people, just, like, insane. Like, she's like, no dinner tonight, we're we're making songs. Like, that's that's crazy, but awesome. Do you think it was, like, microwave popcorn? Like, I don't know if we had microwave popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like it was probably just, like, one of those, when you go into a music studio and there's just, like, this really shitty like half-assed food kind of like a crafty table and it's it's just like it's like this cold popcorn from seven days ago and it's just there for like for looks and madonna's like she's like i'm not thinking about eating right now i'm trying to trying to finish the vocal to papa don't preach like what i suppose it's also possible that there was a popcorn machine like those cheesy things like i could see that in like a recording studio lobby like yeah yeah um the one thing that struck me um when madonna reintroduced herself with this era was this was the first time she really reinvented her whole entire look and it was like it caused like a major sensation so through her first debut album madonna and then through like a virgin you know her look was very iconic like she had like the teased hair the the, the Ray-Ban sunglasses, the jelly bracelets, the, um, the lace gloves, the boy toy, you know, belt, the wedding dress, like all of that club kitty um, look was very much Madonna to the point where that's where like the term wannabe comes from. Like all the girls and some of the guys dressed like her because her look was so iconically, it was the trend, like that was the look. Yeah. And then when she came back with True Blue, completely reinvented herself. She cut her hair off. It was super short. Her whole look was very vintage inspired. She looked like a 50s greaser girlfriend, kind of, you know, with the scarf around the neck, um, the platinum, you know, bright blonde hair. Um, And I mean, it was just like the beginning of, again, Madonna setting like this new uh trend of like changing her look with her eras and this is like the first time that she'd really done that yeah and i i remember like just from from when i got into madonna which was in the early 2000s like i would look back on that and i was just like what i'm like just this was the look that never made sense to me but then it's like as i've gotten older and i've gotten to contextualize things more i'm like that was a really cool look but like when i was younger I just was like, what on earth? <laughs> like, Yeah. And it's like, you kind of, out of context, it, it doesn't really have the power. Um, but like in the eighties, everything was so like um, distressed and like neon and, you know, makeup on the face, you know, like blush, like all of that really colorful, um, hyper electric, you know, day glow look was like just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And she decided to just, like, step completely out of that, go back to, like, the 50s when everything was more muted and um, not classy. Like, you know what, demure, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Uh, even though even though she's wearing, like, bustiers and stuff, like, she still was very, the look was very classic. She was doing what she does best, and she's, and she's marrying different ideas concepts and making it completely unique while also brilliantly referencing multiple different things that you would not expect to go well together yes completely agree um 
So, okay, let's wait. One more thing. Um, so when we talked about, we talked a little bit about what we were going to talk about for this episode and didn't you, you, didn't you ask your mom and your, and your, your mom's friend, like what their memories were of like Madonna when she de- debuted this new look? Like, what did they tell you? I mean, well, my mom has always not liked Madonna or not been a fan, so her opinion's irrelevant. <laughs> but, but, um, but I, but her best friend Mary Kay is it was or was a huge Madonna fan, and it was like this album when it came out for her because she was a senior in high school. Like this was her moment. Like this was just the era that defines her high school experience and she would go out to a lake with her friends and they'd play it on repeat and the look was so iconic and and even like she was like Shanghai Surprise like that was like my favorite movie and who's that girl and all this stuff and it's just it was like when you were like that age at that time there were so many people and my my neighbor James as well um it was just like this was just the moment and we all like for me like I know what those musical moments were for me when I was in high school mm-hmm. and so I can I get that but like this was this was a seminal moment for people at that age who who loved pop music and who loved pop culture it was just it was all encompassing and they have it just it, it's like a time machine for them it's so cool to hear all of their stories about it it's just you know it's related yeah um like these days like I always say that like the music scene is so diluted these days because the internet has just given so much freedom for artists to just experiment and anyone with a cell phone can upload a video to YouTube and they can put their own music out. So like the whole music scene is so diluted now that there are multiple, you know, female pop stars there are multiple male pop stars There are international pop stars. Like it's a worldwide thing now. But back then, mm-hmm. it was much less that. MTV was really the focus where everybody looked. So if you weren't on MTV, um, you kind of weren't like a superstar, you know. And like, yes, there are people on the radio, and those people are like stars. But like, it was like MTV and like the radio, and like that's it. And amongst Madonna's contemporaries, it was like who, Cyndi Lauper, like Pat Benatar mm-hmm. was kind of like a rocker, even though she was like in in the pop world. Um, Belinda mm-hmm. Carlisle was, you know, starting her solo career, but it was really like Madonna was it. Like it was, she was, she just set the yeah. standard and that was just it. Yeah. To me, Madonna took the torch that Debbie Harry lit and she just like, she blew it up into a world of fire. And it's so cool because it's, it's like she, she had so many influences and she just created this entire world and made magic yeah and she was so smart about uh marketing herself and putting herself out there i think she handled every thing that was thrown at her with if not grace at least she handled it with like brilliance and um Mm -hmm. you know that's why she is like the legendary icon that she is today so let's let's get to um the songs we could talk about the songs and I created the playlist for this episode um, which is going to be on Spotify for you to listen to and I changed the order of the songs a little bit just so they can kind of go in a little more chronological order so the first song on the playlist is Love Makes the World Go Round because it's the first song that we heard from this era and then the second song is Live to Tell which was the first single from the album 
And then the rest of the album is listed in the order that it is on the track listing. Then I added um, the four songs from the Who's Who's That Girl soundtrack, which we will get to. And then a couple songs from You Can Dance and some live performances of True Blue era songs from subsequent tours. So... The first song, which we mentioned, she debuted at Live Aid Live, Love Makes the World Go Round. Um, And then you already talked about this, about how it's this um, uplifting song about, like, you know, world peace. It's like, um, I don't know, would you would you say if like if like Yoko Ono did like a super cool dance (laughs) pop song, this is kind of the vibe she would go for? No. (laughs) (laughs) I I, know, no, I only I mentioned that because that. I know you're such a huge Yoko Ono fan. Yes, Yoko... if I can have any moment in this podcast is to have my moment of say Stan Yoko Ono. <laughs> but but what I what I want to say about Love Makes the World Go Round is that this is a song that in almost twenty years of of having Madonna be my favorite artist, I have never liked this song. And having revisited it this week for this podcast. I'm suddenly obsessed with it. It's like, it hit me. It hit me like 20 years later. Like this is an incredible pop song. Yeah. And it's, it almost feels to me that it, it was done a disservice by just being tacked on at the end of True Blue and never being performed again. Like it never got a video. It just, I just, I don't know. I just like, I thought it was annoying when I was younger. And then, but I just like, I've just become obsessed with it. It's been since I woke up this morning and yesterday morning and the morning before it has been my, it'd been in my head incessantly and I'm just like god what a great pop song I wish that that more was done to highlight it because it, it might have changed my perception of it yeah it's a great song it's cute it's very sing-songy the chorus gets stuck in your head I agree like I having revisited it this week um it's the one song that I that keeps playing in my head when I'm not listening to anything else um same that's weird and it totally got lost though so it was it debuted a year before the record came out and it was only Mm -hmm. performed once and like you said it wasn't a single it wasn't given a video and it kind of got lost because once we moved to the next song live to tell live to tell was such a big great song like it is if not her it's it's hard it's hard for me to say because i really love crazy for you Crazy for mm-hmm. You is, I think, my favorite Madonna ballad because it's just such a, like, a heartfelt, great song. But, like, Live to Tell is just as good. And sometimes I think it's better. I go back and forth between those two. Um, I definitely think that Live to Tell is better. I think that it takes the bones of what Crazy for You did and it makes it more mature. I think that it's it's just, I for me, Live to Tell is Madonna's first epic. Yeah. Her first epic song that's just, like, it's not it's not three minutes and thirty seconds. It's like a long song. Yep. It 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 grows, it builds, and it's just it's the only word to describe it is epic. Yeah. And it has like such powerful drama. Like the pauses are very dramatic. The video is also very dramatic. Like I don't love the video because so the song was used to promote Sean Penn's movie at close range, which Madonna didn't star in. But you know she records so the song was used for promotion of that movie so the music video is a very stark um you know madonna sitting on a stool or on a chair you know with a spotlight on her in a completely black room and it's just the camera 
you know, doing close-ups of her face and she's looking at the camera. She's not. And it's like this crane shot overhead. And it's a very dramatic, simple as fuck video. And it's so powerful in the fact that it doesn't have all these crazy bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. And I think the video is, I don't want to say ruined, but like, you know, the clips from the movie are added to promote the movie where you're just like, no one wants to see that, to be quite honest. We just want to see Madonna <laughs> sing this song. Because it's the yeah. first time, it, for me, it was the first time that the focus was on her vocals. You know, she wasn't yes. being like, you know, she wasn't being ridiculous or funny or she wasn't being slapstick. She wasn't being campy. She wasn't dancing. She wasn't doing anything other than sitting and singing. And then at one point she's standing and singing and that's it. I think it's her her first intimate moment with her audience. Yep. Yep. I agree. Because I, I've seen that video a million times and I like when you said there was film clips in it, I don't even remember that. Yep. I just, I have such a strong image of, of her on that chair and she's like looking into the camera, but you can feel it. Yep. Um, and the thing is, it's like, so the, her look, her very 1940s look is the look of her character from when she's in Shanghai Surprise with Sean and that movie that's released <laughs> later in the year. So this is why I always think it's from the Shanghai Surprise film, but it's not. It's from At Close Range. Um, but it, it gave us our first look at that character that she was going to debut in that horrible film later in the year. <laughs> um, but absent that, it is you know, one of her most powerful, most striking songs and videos and her third number one. Wow. See, I didn't know that. Yep. I would never have thought that Live to Tell went to number one because yep. I just, when I look back of, of her songs before I was, you know, a conscious music listener, I have my ideas of what I feel like as a hit or what wasn't a hit because what's translated into my generation. Yep. Live to Tell is not one of those songs. So it surprises me to hear that that was a number one. Yep. Her first number one was uh, Like a Virgin. Her second was Crazy for You. And her third um, was um, Live to Tell. And she would have two more number ones to come from this record. Um, The next song, Papa Don't Preach. Now this, for me, was the biggest song of the record. Um, You know, Live to Tell went to number one. Um, Papa Don't Preach also went to number one. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's one of her first, well, not one of her first, because she had other videos that told stories, but it tells a story. Um, it solidified this new look that she had debuted, you know, with the short hair and the, you know, the greaser leather jacket. Um, it looks like it could be set in the fifties, but it's, you know, 1980s New York city. Um, Mm -hmm. it was inspired and this is a cool story which i love but so the songwriter apparently the recording studio in north hollywood where uh the songwriter wrote the song there's the this big um glass window in front of the recording studio that that was like uh one way so it looks like a mirror from the outside and the way he tells it girls used to like check their makeup because i guess it was by the bus stop or something They used to check their makeup and like gossip with one another in front of that window because it was a mirror to them. And he Mm -hmm. overheard, you know, these two girls talking about like one of them got pregnant and she was going to keep her baby. 
And that's where he got the inspiration for Papa Don't Preach, which wow. is such a great story. Isn't that a great story? Uh, yeah, I never heard that. Yeah. Um, and I remember when the video came out, um, it was so controversial because of that baby business. Like, you know, like she's keeping her baby and people were like freaking out. Like, I, I remember it being a huge controversy because people were like, she shouldn't be like telling kids what to do or she sh- like mm-hmm. she shouldn't. She was such a huge star that adults were pissed off that she was talking about such important um issues with children or something but to me it's Mm -hmm. like the most one of the most responsible things she's ever put out talking about like you know keeping her child not you know giving it up for adoption or terminating the pregnancy i don't know it was so so weird like the 80s were weird man (laughs) but it's but it's but i i view this in in two different aspects number one i imagine the record label executives when she's now become the biggest pop star on the face of the earth. And she's like, Hey, I'm about to put out like the first like legit, huge, real single for my album. And it's going to be about abortion (laughs) and it's 1986. So, and I just, I can see her in that meeting and people were, I can imagine how many people were like, no. And she's like, well, no back to you. And she did it. And it's like, how important is that? Yeah. And it's like, she could, you could, you could take one of like the biggest female pop stars today, like Lady Gaga or Ariana Grande and, and if they're going to go into a record label meeting and be like, hey, uh, so I'm about to put out this really big pop album and I'm really big right now. It's going to be about abortion and there's going to be a video addressing it. So it just even today, it's been ugh, God, it's been years, decades and nothing has changed yep. like this. It's, it's just as controversial now as it would have been in 1986. But it's like the balls that she had to do that. Yeah. And and it's and it's funny because I, I was. I was revisiting a lot of the stuff the other night and I was, cause I'm obviously up here like isolating with my parents and I was, we were going through the videos and I was trying to like explain stuff to them. And it's like, my mom, like she knows all the words to Papa Don't Preach, but she was like, this is about abortion. It's like, there's a lot of people out there that just like, you know, they just think it's a pop song, yeah. but it's like, that was, I think that that, that proves the genius of it because it's like, she was being controversial, but she did it in a way that wasn't so in your face that if you weren't reading the lyrics and reading the stories about it, you just thought you were just like, Papa don't preach. Right. I mean, it's about abortion because everyone is telling her she's too young. She should not have this baby. And she decides that she's going to have it, Mm -hmm. which, so, you know, one of the big things that Madonna, um, you know, I don't think gets enough credit for is how vocal she was about like safe sex practices in the eighties. Um, mm-hmm. This was the height of the AIDS ad- epidemic. Like her friends were dying left and right. And a lot of people were not very vocal about safe sex practices because, you know, talking about sex is so taboo. And for her, safe sex was not only um, a way to like um, avoid unwanted pregnancies, but it was a way to avoid dying. So it was very important for her to be very vocal about um, safe sex practices. And there's a portion, which I will talk about when we get to this part later on, uh, on the uh, Who's That Girl tour. She has this huge safe sex message in the middle of her show, which, again, is something that Madonna very, um, not even brazenly, like she very openly and decidedly decided was going to be her message in spite of the criticism that she received and probably the backlash and pushback she probably got from her record label and her managers or whoever. 
but then she took it to number one and yep. it became one of the most iconic hits. And yep. and this is a, a, a personal note, but like the one of the first memories that I have of of knowing who Madonna was was when Kelly Osborne covered Papa Don't Preach because, oh, yeah. because I was like I I was a I was eleven, I think, when she did that. And I, you know, I was always on MTV and VH1 and Madonna wasn't a huge presence there anymore, but the Osbournes were. And I thought like, I was just, I thought Kelly Osbourne was like the coolest person ever. And I loved this video that she put out with like her pink hair. And, and that was like, you know, I, as I got to know what that song was, I learned that it was a Madonna cover and it took me a couple years to ever hear Madonna's version. But I mean, that song is just the, the multiple incarnations that it's gone through, whether it's live or, or with people covering it it's like it's it's been a multi-generational thing and that and that is a testament to what a brilliant song it is yeah and i think it's another one of her you know mature songs and not just because of the subject matter but like it starts with like these orchestral strings like this isn't stuff you hear in pop music and it certainly wasn't something that you would hear like on mtv like in the like the heyday of mtv you know it's very dramatic you know the the way it starts with the strings and it's yeah. and the video again iconic um madonna, italians do it better madonna yeah that shirt like was such a big thing like she wore that shirt in that video and it was mass produced to death it's i think it's up there with like the frankie says relax t-shirt from like the 80s like oh, that was a shirt that everybody yeah. had yeah and when you contextualize it it's this is the biggest female pop artist in the world. She's about like, she's literally on top of the world and she's going to put out this behemoth of a pop album and she's going to open it with a song about abortion. And she's going to, and she's going to like sprinkle out like classical music notes and classical music influences throughout a pop song. It's just like, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Madonna was really setting herself as the artist who was, um, head of the trend she was the one setting the conversations for like society not just pop culture greater than pop culture like she was just everything to everyone you either loved her or hated her and overwhelmingly people loved her like obviously she had her critics the church the catholic church did not love her um the PMRC, the people who came up with the whole record censoring parental advisory sticker, they didn't love her, but mm-hmm. everybody loved Madonna. Kids loved her. Adults loved her. Um, corporations like Pepsi loved her up to a point. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. The one last thing I want to say about Papa Don't Preach in the video, um, just because I love Debbie Mazar, is that her friend, Debbie, Debbie Mazar, appears in this video for the first time. And she would appear in, what, four, five more Madonna videos in, throughout the rest of her career. But Papa I had no idea Debbie was in that video. Yep. She's one of her friends telling her um, that she shouldn't keep her baby. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. I thought that I thought that True Blue was the first moment. Nope. How interesting. So, so Debbie is in um, uh, Papa Don't Preach, and then she's in uh, True Blue as well. And then she's also in Justify My Love, uh, Deeper and Deeper, and Music. I did not know she was in Justify My Love either. Yes, she's in, she's in the, hotel, I'm, the hotel room. I'm learning. I'm learning. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Okay, so let's go on to the next song, Open Your Heart, um, which was originally titled Follow Your Heart. It was originally written for Cyndi Lauper, and it was written by Donna DeLore's then-boyfriend. Did you know that? No. Yes. So there's another podcast that uh, I've been trying to shove down your throat lately. Um, it's a Madonna <laughs> podcast called uh, Madonna MLVC. So it's Madonna Louise Veronica Ciccone. It's like her initials, MLVC. It's, it's a great podcast, and it's all about Madonna. And they had an interview with Donna DeLore. They also had an interview with Nikki Harris. And you have to go listen to those interviews. If you listen to nothing else from that podcast, listen to those two interviews because they're fucking amazing. So this is and the for the people that have no context, Donna DeLore and Nikki Harris were Madonna's longtime backup singers, which backup singers, I feel like, discredits them. Like, they were like co-conspirators. Like, yep. they were just like, they were like a, they were like the Justice League of 80s pop. Yep. Yep. They got really uh, more well known when uh, the Blonde Ambition tour happened and when Truth or Dare came out because they're heavily featured in that mm-hmm. film. So that's kind of where they kind of got their notoriety. Um, but they go back to the Who's That Girl, uh, the True Blue era, because um, they were both backup singers on the Who's That Girl tour. So that was the first time that they sang backup for her on the Who's That Girl tour. But anyways, I did not know that. I thought yeah. Truth Dare was the was the first. Interesting. No sir, no sir. Um, so Donna's boyfriend at the time wrote "Follow Your Heart" for Cyndi Lauper, and apparently she didn't hear it. It wasn't a matter she passed on it. I guess she didn't hear it, but he wrote it for her, and Madonna's people heard it and they liked it, but they wanted the lyrics changed a little bit. So Donna sang the demo sang the demo and then Madonna liked it. She changed some of the lyrics and it became open your heart. And that's how Donna DeLore came on to Madonna's radar and then ended up becoming her backup singer later on. So, or at least for that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. So the video is one of my favorites. Even when I was a kid, um, you know, the whole peep show burlesque thing is totally not something that I'm all about. Um, even as a young child, like I wasn't, I was very young. Um, but when you're gay, you know, you're gay. So, you know, I wasn't all about <laughs> girls, but I did love seeing Madonna, like in this little peep show video. Cause it's just, it's just a great video. It, it's another video that tells a story you know, the little boy outside trying to get in and the old ticket, old man ticket taker shaking his finger at her, like not letting him go in because he's a little kid. And so mm-hmm. she's inside doing her little, you know, peep show dance for all these voyeurs. And I remember at the time there was all this talk about like, you know, oh, you know, the, the subject, she's, she's the subject of male gaze and she's like demeaning herself as like a stripper sort of thing. But there's mm-hmm. a there's a female audience member in that video too so it's not Mm -hmm. just about like men and there's two sailors or two navy men and they're like twins Mm -hmm. and they're like laying on top of each other that's very gay like there's nothing about this video to me that seems um exploitative of her no not at all i think that i think that it's a really i think it's one of her most intelligent videos and i think that that it requires some some deep critical thinking to really analyze it and i think that 
that when she takes that black wig and she pushes it off to reveal this, this yep. blonde hairdo, that's one of her most iconic images. But it's like, if you watch that video and you're just like, oh, Madonna's a stripper and there's like this random kid in it and, you know, ew, yep. like I, you're not you're not paying attention. Yep. I completely it's agree. It is a very intelligent and nuanced video. Uh, the other thing I love about this video is um, the outfit she's wearing uh, is a Jean-Paul Gaultier uh, design. So it's the first time we're seeing her wear those coney little bustier bra things, which became mm-hmm. very iconic later on in True yes. Bear in the Vogue video. Um, and it was her fifth number one song. I did not know that was the number one, but it I... Was. It's it's deserving. That is a great pop song. Yep, yep. And the production on it is one of my favorite production moments of True Blue. I think that that the everything falls together so well production wise on that song and mixing wise. It's it's just it was really just immaculately done. Like it, this album was such a stellar hit. Like everything she put out went straight to number one, or was at least you know, or was a top ten hit. Like this was just like massive massive um uh the next track white heat uh a non-single album cut um which i know you love right like when i meant what i mentioned let's talk about true blue and the first thing out of your mouth was like oh my god white heat one of white heat white heat is one of my favorite madonna songs ever i love when madonna embraces her rock influences and she and she really like turns up the electric guitar I that's just that's I I like I come alive when she does that no pun intended and I just this song is such it's like it's a great pop song but then she brings in these rock influences and she brings in these these film samples which she never does and it's just it's such a great song and it's like the hit that got away to me it's like yeah those film samples were from James Cagney films uh it's a song that's dedicated to James Cagney either his character or the characters or his him as an actor or the characters he played i i always liked this song but to be honest in my opinion the clips not ruin the song but they take away from the poppiness of the song because i always thought it could never be on the radio because of those clips like when you're listening to a song Mm -hmm. in the radio you don't want to hear clips like that if it was in the beginning and that was it but you know but it's like in the song too for me that Mm -hmm. song without the clips would have been a number one song. Oh yeah, if she had a radio edit of it. But, yeah. But the thing with the thing with this album is that she could have had a number one hit with any of these nine songs. I agree. I agree. Um, for sure, the next song, "Where's the Party," totally. Oh. Should, oh yeah. Should have been. Should have been a number one. I, yeah, and I my my first re- I True Blue like when I was younger when I was a younger Madonna fan True Blue I just didn't listen to it like I knew the single and that was it but like what made me love Where's the Party is when she mashed it up with Music Inferno yeah. on the Confessions tour yeah. because I was just like whoa I'm like that's a great pop song because I'm hearing it like I'm hearing it in my generation with a production that makes sense to me and then it's like I go back and revisit it I'm like oh this is a really well written song such a great pop song it's such a, a great it's a hit song. yeah it's a big hit I think it's just as good as Into the Groove um and I also love Causing a Commotion those those three songs are like my favorite like dancey pop Madonna songs that you can put on any 
dance playlist at a party and people are gonna like sing along or dance to it like they're just oh so good yeah where's the party is a where's the party is for sure underrated there's not enough people that know it like the end bar, you know, that, that with, it's it's not like a rap where she sings it really fast at the end, you know, we can make it all right, we can make a dance, we can make a party last all night. Like, it's such a good song. Like, yeah. Those, sing, yeah. those sing-songy elements of pop songs, for me as a kid, like, that's what, what resonated with me. I, you know, maybe it sounds a little elementary, but like, it, if it's a sing-songy, catchy tune, I'm going to stand that song forever. Like, forever. Yes. Yes, and and where's the party is the single. I mean, but I feel like I'm gonna say this about every non-single on True Blue. It's the single that got away. But it's like just it's when you create this behemoth of a pop album, and every single album track feels like the single that got away. Like what an accomplishment! Yeah, I think you know because um, you know record labels don't really want to release too much because they feel like they saturate the market. And I think that that's kind Mm -hmm. of where that thinking comes from. Like you have to, you have to realize by the time um, uh, Open Your Heart was out, you know, Papa Don't Preach was still on the radio. Live to Tell was still on the radio. Like Into the Groove was still on the radio. Like, so she had so many songs on the radio that I get why record labels not like, let's put out another single because if, if, if it does well, it takes away from the success of the others. Like it, she starts to cannibalize, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's- Well, this is, this is probably a completely insane comparison, but I look at an album like Shania Twain's Come On Over where there was like a million singles from it. And it was like, it felt like the True Blue era ended too early yeah. because we had to go into Who's That Girl? Yep. It's like, there was, this, was, this was a, like I said before, a behemoth pop album. And and it's if there's any proof that you can milk an album for like three years and have constant yep. hits from it, Shania's Come On Over proved yeah. that. And I think that True Blue is a very similar album in that she could have released virtually every song from this album and made a great video for it and had a tour that, that went on for a long time and it would have, it just, it, it would never have stopped. I think it really uh, goes back to like, had it been released at a different time, like she was hitting the stratosphere you know going into space actually she was just so massive she had uh one film in theaters that year she had another film coming out the next year she had her first real world tour coming out the next year she was prepping Mm -hmm. her stage debut in 1988 in speed the plow like she was just doing so much that there wasn't Mm -hmm. time to really release all of the like the you're right the whole entire album could have been released as singles and they all could have done if not number ones for sure could have been top 10 hits yeah and i think one of the most integral things that i've uh, that i've observed of madonna over the years is that like she put something out and she's like here it is i'm gonna do a few things for it and then it's time to move on because she doesn't like to dwell like anywhere she's just like this is what i did yeah and that's and I love that because that's that's such a sign of like this creative brilliance. It's like you know, it's not like oh, I reached this milestone now. Let's let's you know revel in yeah. this. It's like okay, I put this out now. What am I doing now? Yeah, so many other artists would have just like rode that gravy train for as long as they can, but they would have lost the momentum and they go away. Like that's why 
you know, we're not talking about like some other artists who had like two or three great records, maybe even five great records. And then, you know, they're done. Like Madonna Mm -hmm. is going and going and going and hopefully will go for the rest of, you know, time. I mean, she has for so long. She has to. I mean, she, yeah, her work ethic and the way that she is just constantly obsessed with moving on to the next project is unprecedented. With I, I would maybe say Prince is the only yeah. other artist in history yeah. that is so just like forward thinking. You now, like I've created a masterpiece, and I'm going to give it a little bit of my time, and now it's time to do, to do the next thing. Yeah. Um. The next song, the title track, True Blue, her 50s girl group homage, um, always struck me as a very Motown-esque song. And being a girl from the Detroit area, I always loved that about this song. Um, If the album is her Valentine to Sean Penn, this song and video is the epitome of that. Um, The video was very cute and simple. Did you know that the video for True Blue in America was um, made by fans through an MTV contest. I did not know that, no. So MTV decided that they were going to, Madonna, they reached out to her and her record label, I'm sure, and they decided that they were going to have a Make Madonna's Video contest. And Hmm. um, people submitted their, their videos and then like they picked like five or 10 or something. And then Madonna watched them and they had like live on MTV. She picked the winners and she gave them a check for $25,000. And that was the video that Americans saw for the first year that the song was out. Really? Yep. So the video that that I have never seen that. Yeah. The video that, you know, was released in Europe because they weren't with that bullshit over there. (laughs) And (laughs) it's the cute, you know, it's very simple to be honest the video that won it's it's also very simple madonna's real video is only better because of the production value and because madonna's in it they're both very simple and i think the idea was the song is a very you know simple song that they were going for a simple video look but uh, i added the i this is a last minute addition to uh this youtube playlist i made for this podcast as well I added the clip of um, Madonna announcing the winner of the video and you can see the video and it's on YouTube and you can see it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would love to see that. Yeah. The winners were Angel uh, Garcia and Cliff Guest. And Madonna pulled the $25,000 check out of her bra. And she says, there's two of you. Should I rip this check in half? And they're like, uh yeah like it's fun it's just so weird it's just awkward when mtv does these things with real people live because they don't know what to do uh it's funny yeah nor would i but in europe the the video uh has madonna and her girlfriends one of them being debbie mazar and they're singing true blue and it's very cute girl groupie 50s homage yeah so the next song, um, La Isla Bonita, uh, was originally written for Michael Jackson. It was intended for his Bad album. Um, this one, I believe he heard and passed on. So while Open Your Heart, I don't think Cindy Lauper ever heard it. It was intended for her, but she didn't hear it. Um, 
Michael Jackson heard this and passed on it, which the one of the best ideas he's ever had because I cannot for the life of me imagine like Michael Jackson singing this song. I could so see it. I really can. I mean, you think he's in Last Night Dreaming of San Pedro? Yeah. Singing, singing in terrible broken Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I could just I could hear his vocal on it for some reason because I feel like I feel like the production could be very bad. Not bad, yeah. but like for the record bad. Oh, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. <laughs> um, it was the fifth and final single from the album. This one did not go to number one, but I think it went to like top five or something. Like it, it did well, but it did not go to number one. But see, that's crazy to me because La Isla Bonita, I believe is like, if not her top, one of her top most viewed YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how does, how is that not a number one? Cause there's so many songs that I've heard that have gone to number one that I'm just like, really? But then this one, I'm shocked that it didn't because it's such yeah. an iconic, memorable song. The thing you have to take into consideration is so many amazing songs get fucked over because of when they were released. Um, because something else was number one at the time or someone, else, you know, like, cause you know, Madonna was massive, but she wasn't the only top selling artist of the year. Like I'd have to look, but I'd have to guess that something like a Bruce Springsteen song or maybe a Michael Jackson song kept her from number one. You know what I mean? So, hmm. so the competition was crazy yeah. around this time because it was such a fruitful time for, for pop music and top 40 in general, MTV was at its strongest, you know, like it took a few years for MTV to really reach its power that like the late eighties, like 85, 86, 87, 88, it was just like at its Zenith, you know, it was Mm. just massive. Um, This video, I love this video um, that, that red flamenco dress that she's wearing is just like, ugh. So good. Like if if you're gonna do drag Madonna, like that would be my favorite era or look to to do. You know, that's funny because that's one of my least favorite Madonna videos. You think so? I find it boring. You know, it's it's. I think it's filmed in New York because she was a New York girl at that time. But it reminds me of like L.A. You know, like the cholo parts of L.A. Like the guy yeah. with the long black hair playing his little mandolin or whatever he's playing on the street. And she's mm-hmm. looking out the window from behind the lace curtain. She's praying her rosary. It's so Spanish. It's so Mexican-y to me. Mm-hmm. And the thing for me as a young Latin kid, like a Mexican kid in suburban Detroit like there were no Mexicans. I was the only one. Um, uh, and to hear a not only a pop song on the radio singing Spanish lyrics, but for someone like Madonna singing Spanish lyrics was weird for me because I grew up not wanting to learn Spanish. I didn't want to be different. I totally wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like everyone else. I yelled at my parents whenever we were in public and they were speaking Spanish to each other. Like, I hated that. I was so embarrassed by that. And to have Madonna singing Spanish lyrics, albeit not great, I think her syncopation is terrible. <laughs> like, her pronunciations are terrible. But it was very important for me to hear that. And I mentioned this in an earlier podcast when I talked about, like, how important the song La Bamba was for me when it came out in 87 or 88. Like, to have mm-hmm. a completely Spanish-spoken um 
song on the radio was huge for me. And La Isla Bonita was the first pop song that I ever heard with Spanish lyrics. And it was like, wow, something to not be embarrassed about. I don't know. It was weird for me. No, that's an awesome memory, though. And, yeah. it's a, and that shows how seminal the song was. Yeah. I mean, my La Isla Bonita memory is I was on a cruise to the Bahamas when I was... Ooh. I was 20. Were you on your live... way to San Pedro? Yes, I was <laughs> en route. And uh, they had a live band karaoke, which I'd never heard of before, but I went through the songbook, and the only Madonna song I had was La Isla Bonita, so I got up in front of the whole cruise ship and sang it. No, and you it... did not. And it was a absolute disaster i'm sure it was fun i'm sure it was fun i'm sure i'm sure it was great that's so cool but that's like because i and and my favorite my all-time favorite version of la isla bonita is the confessions tour version because it's just i i love the way she mixed it up and she changed the syncopation of the words and the lyrics and she had that abba agneta like outfit going on and she just it was just in the, the screens with the tropical backgrounds, like that is my La Isla Bonita memory that I'm just like, yes. I mean, obviously whenever Madonna does a new tour, she's gonna promote whatever her latest record is. So it's mm-hmm. always a treat to see which which of the gems she pulls from her back catalog and puts into a current tour. Um, yeah. And this is why I'm very, very happy that there are four, one, two, three, four of of true blue era songs that she has recorded that she's performed live on concert in like the past 10 years which the the album just endures and endures and endures because it is a it's a perfect record for me Mm -hmm. and the last song uh on true blue jimmy jimmy what what are your (laughs) thoughts on jimmy jimmy you know i never loved jimmy jimmy and it always just felt like I would read online because I was always on Madonna forums. I like I moderated a Madonna forum when I was in high school called Madge Tribe. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it was like a it was like a thing. But but everybody was was Ladies always and like, gentlemen, oh. I have a forum a forum leader from Madge Tribe <laughs> on my podcast. See, I had to go to I had to go to the experts. This is why I asked. <laughs> I just, I would be in yearbook class or photography class in high school and I would be moderating the forum. But everybody, it. everybody was always just like, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy is Madonna's worst song. And then like, I didn't love it. So I just always agreed. But then it was like, I, I revisited it this week and I was like, God, like, it makes sense in the context of the album. And that synth, as simple as it is, that synth line's like, na 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 Like, it's genius. Like that, like, there's a lot of genius and simplicity. And it's like that, yep. it's just, it's, it is in the context of the album. If there was one song that I would think maybe would not have been a hit at all, it would be Jimmy Jimmy. Right. Because right. if there's one thing that feels like an album track here yes. for me, it's Jimmy Jimmy. But in the context of the album, I enjoy it now. I, but... Yes, I completely agree with that. I think it's a cute song. Um, apparently, Jimmy Jimmy, like the references to like a James Dean type of character, you know, she's in love with the bad boy in the neighborhood. Like it's a cute song. And when you and in the context of the record, which is a very kind of fifties or Motowny vibe, the very vintage, it I think it fits in perfectly. When you compare it to something like Dear Jesse, which I do not love, like Dear Dear Jesse is, is a song that I'm like, no. Like that's an album track where I'm just like, no. Yeah, no, I'm a Dear Jimmy Jesse Jimmy is. is a yes. 
Yeah, dear Jimmy, I mean, <laughs> dear Jimmy, dear Jesse is a no, but Jimmy, Jimmy, like, she talks about, like, why did you go and crash up your new car? Like, that's definitely about James Dean. I mean, that's how yep. he died. Yep. And she talks about, you know, you think you're going to, you say you're going to be the king of Las Vegas. And it's like, it's very, for me, it's very on the nose about James Dean. But that's, that's the era, the overarching theme of True Blue is that era. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a great way to reference it. And it, you know, again, the whole Motown thing where she says, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why do fools fall in love? Like, that's a very clear reference to that era as well. So, yeah, you know, I think I agree with you. It is it is definitely an album track, um, probably not single material, but it is a great album track. It is perfect for the record as a whole. And I think after all these years, it holds up as a cute, a cute song. I agree. That is the end of part one of this episode of Madonna, the True Blue Era. Um, Austin and I have a bit more to talk about in part two with the release of Who's That Girl, the album, Who's That Girl, the film, and Who's That Girl, the tour. So tune in next time to hear part two of this episode. And one correction I want to make, I erroneously mentioned that Into the Groove was Madonna's second number one single. It was not. Crazy For You was her second number one single. So it was Like a Virgin, Crazy For You, and Live to Tell. Those were Madonna's first three number one singles. Each episode of Spooky Electric has a playlist that I have created for each individual episode. The playlist can be found on my Spotify account, Trent Venegas, in the playlist folder titled Spooky Electric. The playlist track listings are listed on the Spooky Electric Instagram at Spooky Electric, where the O's are zeros. S-P-0-0-K-Y-E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C.